filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. So my friend went to, or my friend hosted a Super Bowl party. I'm recording this the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, so I went up there. I picked up some chicken from Bonchon, and I got there, and I was very excited about the Bonchon that I was carrying in. Uh, both. That was a whole other thing. Um, I've been to a Bonchon where they were like, "You should definitely get the sauces combined," and I said, "Okay," and they did that, and it was awesome. And so when I called and I tried to get the sauces combined this time, they were like, that is a thing that we do not do. Corporate will never let us mix the sauces. And I was like, your people have told me to do this. Like your, the idea came from, from your people. And they said, no, never couldn't be. And I so said, you went okay. To a rogue bond, Tom, the one you time. went to, you went to bond. Yes. One in of in the, Adams Morgan, we have a bond. We don't have a bonchon. It's the <laughs> it's the same thing, except they didn't want to take the bonchon franchise name. Right. They didn't want to pay for it. So they just called themselves bond. It's the same thing. Yeah, somewhere along the lines, I've definitely one of these two uh, dueling uh, bonchon outlets is definitely doing something different. They're re- revolting against corporate, and I don't know which one is which. But in any case. I go, and I'm very excited. I get there, and I park behind my friend at a reasonable distance, and I head inside, and, you know, like half an hour, 45 minutes go by. Uh, we're all hanging out, and his trash is full, so he goes to take the trash out. So he takes the bag, and he leaves, and he comes back in, and he gives me a look, and I'm like, what's up, man? And he's like, you think you're funny, don't you? And I was like, what? I mean, broadly, yes, but, you know, <laughs> not specifically in this case. What's What's happened? And he's like, you, the way you parked and i was like i feel like i parked a normal distance away from your car in your driveway i don't what's, what's the problem here he's like your car is up against my car it's they're touching your uh, my car and your car are in contact right now and i was like well i didn't park like that and he was like well then something else happened that's not great and i was like uh all right i'll go outside and see what's happened so i go out and there's no damage because it's not there there wasn't enough distance for it to roll uh into his car with any kind of force but it turned out that I just left the car in neutral because it's a stick shift and then <laughs> I didn't mean, turn on the e-brake. Uh, and so my car just gently rolled in his. Jason, we don't know if there was enough force to do any damage because we, we might be able to extrapolate the velocity of going. We're not doing inches. physics problems, Ben. Uh, I didn't, we I didn't, don't I didn't know the mass them. of your car. We don't know the I, mass of your car. So, Ben, we could have tackled this problem because the party I was at was mostly engineers. Um, we could have gotten so to the bottom you? of this if uh, we had other things to do. There were like 900 children there mostly, and it was just not an environment conducive towards uh, solving physics problems. I mean, that's um, the only thing I remember from physics. So couldn't you have so, solved that for me? No. So we were. So how many engineers did it take to pull the e-brake and park the car? So the the solution was the solution to that question is is zero. Uh, because what I actually did was I went outside, saw that the e-brake wasn't on, realized that that means that the car was also still in neutral. And so my friend came out and was laughing at me. I was like, I'll fix this problem. And I went to the back of the car and he was like, that's not how you fix the problem. But I grabbed the spoiler and just sort of 
leaned back and the car started slowly drifting off of his car and I let it drift far <laughs> enough where it was back to where it should be. And then I walked around and uh, opened the door up and uh, then I popped the e-brake and then everything was fine. Um, so I guess we can estimate the mass of your car. Uh, it's a 10 I mean, right. Not, not really. Um, you, I mean, a, a one single person without, with minimal effort can get a car that's in neutral and without an e-brake, you can get it moving pretty easily. So this reminds got, me when I was, a I kid, guess we've got to talk my, about friction then. We don't <laughs> then. Under my, no my tires have been inflated recently and they're, they're, they're like a year old. So they're not lubric- too bad of a shape. How lubricated is your, and you are just going into places. I don't want to go. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll make this plain. I know you don't drive an Escalade ESV because if you did, you probably weigh 2000 pounds. Cause that's what it's going to take to move <laughs> that monster of a vehicle off of another vehicle. Do many Escalades have rear spoilers? No. <laughs> and that tells me further. It lets me further know Look, that that's not what he's got, driving. <laughs> when you've got when, an Escalade ESV, you should get a spoiler. You should insist. You should very. You should very much and send not. pictures to us. I don't think so. No. Even I know no. that one. Mm-mm. Just put them on no, the roof. That's not how that works. <laughs> Maybe when my brother and I were when my brother and I were kids. My dad had a Dodge Colt, little hatchback, stick shift, and um. He left it unlocked in our driveway one day. And this was shortly after we moved to the neighborhood. And we had donuts for breakfast that morning. And uh, my little brother went out, climbed into the car and was just having fun, like touching things in the car. And he was like maybe three and uh, managed to turn off the e-brake. And it rolled down gently, our, our not very steep driveway into the street very quiet subdivision and across the street and up into our neighbor's yard where it stopped. And my little three-year-old brother got out, I guess walked across the street and came back inside and we get a knock at the door and it's our neighbors whom we've never met because we're new. And they said, I think your car is in our yard. And my dad looks out the window. He's like, yeah, how did that happen? And he goes out <laughs> and drives across and he, he comes back in with a plate with a donut with like two bites taken out of it. And he's just like, Adam, I know this isn't you. You eat your donuts. <laughs> Matt, did you <laughs> take the car across the street? <laughs> my little brother just like hand in the cookie jar, <laughs> just like smiling at my dad, <laughs> not <laughs> confessing to anything, <laughs> just thinking it's funny. So it, it could be, Jason, that you did yeah. engage the e-brake and one of the many children well, went they out and... Had to, they would have had to get my keys out of my jacket. Um which was they were in like a zippered pocket because I'm terrified of having my keys fall out and, and not being able to find them. They would have to find my jacket, get the keys, figure out which car the keys belong to, get into the car and then do that. Also, I don't think any of them. Uh, well, no, the, what if the oldest one, I guess, could get in and out of the house without too much trouble. Um, I'm just or, picturing like a, so a, a preschooler heist movie where the only yeah. goal is to move your car six inches. Unless your unless your pocket is the same type of thing that you see in like a medicine bottle with a childproof cap, I'm pretty sure a kid can go into your pocket. No, but and how get are they going to know that? How are they going to know the keys are there? Like, there's kids a kids are uh, smart, a, man. There's you. a level kids of knowledge be, they would have kids had to have. start wars. <laughs> Jason, just kids open zippers. It's just a thing they do. Right. Well, that's that what's in there. Right, that would have been the most likely path to that. But it was also like my jacket's under a pile of the other jackets because you know how it is when you have people over and there's not 
any room in the coat closet, you just start piling them up in one place. Um, Typically on a guest bed. Yep. Yeah. So it was one of those situations. So they would have had to know Jason's keys are in his pocket. What jacket is Jason's out of the several like various black fleeces that everyone was wearing on Sunday? Um, which pocket? And then also get out the door. Like this would have been a very difficult heist for these kids is what I'm saying. Never underestimate the power. <laughs> Never underestimate the power of a kid who loves keys and all kids <laughs> love keys. I think the more reasonable hey, hey, explanation is Matt's brother is a time walker. <laughs> Matt's brother? Matt, the brother of Adam. <laughs> Hi, Adam. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They're Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. And that fourth voice you hear is none other than Donald Wine the second. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We talk about DC United and car heists by preschoolers. Uh, tonight, we are talking about one of those things. We're talking about DC United's preseason. We also are going to get into some soccer-specific Black History Month in the second segment because it's February and it's worth talking about. Before we do any of that, though, Donald, welcome to the show. What are you drinking? Uh, it's good to be back, first of all. Um, and because I'm back in such a great show, I, I'm bringing the classic Bill's Two-Hearted Ale, pound for pound, nice. the best beer on the planet. Donald, can I tell you something sad? Because Don't of very technical... <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you. Because of okay. very technical uh, uh, beer distribution rules that started in the 30s, uh, Virginia no longer has Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Because Bell's well, is in a argument with, uh, with their distributor. Well, the the son of the founder of Bells lives here in D.C., and so until you guys get your act together, I'm in D.C. I will remain where I can get <laughs> Bells wherever I want. <laughs> were you Were you planning to move to Virginia, and this is what's stopping you? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah, Donald, you can, you <laughs> I was can just saying how real saying. your threat was. You you have other options very nearby. Oh yes, like <laughs> right next door or my fridge. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about mischievous toddlers earlier, and uh, my own mischievous toddler was keeping me, uh, or was still awake right before we started the show. And um, I poured myself some Pikesville Rye just because I needed something <laughs> uh, strong and smooth and great. And uh, that's Pikesville Rye. It's very good. So, uh, Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, we We... Just had a nice Super Bowl thing here, just me and my family, and we bought wine for it because, uh, I mean, the Super Bowl is not a wine holiday, but we just wanted wine. So I'm drinking some Riesling. I don't know what kind it is. It's just whatever I got from Aldi. And who who, it, who knows what brands are at Aldi? It's not is winking it dry out. or sweet? That's all I know. Is the, Very is the re- Okay. Very that is not sweet. my kind of Riesling. Uh, it's not I'm typically a, mine either, but it's what It Aldi was available. Had. I'm a big yeah. fan of dry Riesling, though. It's got a lot of the same flavor notes, but it's nowhere near as cloyingly sweet. Um, it's much less juice-like, I guess. Um, I mean, yeah, this they, is like, like... That's the style in Austria, and there's some uh, wineries in the U.S. that make it that way, too, and I, I strongly recommend it. Well, well, Ben makes fun of me graphically on this audio medium. Uh, <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? Uh... I went to the liquor store like an hour before we were supposed to start um, and spent a lot of time standing, looking at the beers and not having some things like, ah, that could be good. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. 
And usually when that happens, I end up down at the end of the row, which is where they've got the like random German beers that most liquor stores tend to have. Um, and there are some of them where I've never tried because they've been there forever. And it just for whatever reason, I'm like, well, they've been there forever. So don't try them. Um, and so I got myself a uh, Hofbrau Dunkel. Uh, and so that's what I'm drinking. I did briefly. Choice. I thought about getting a uh, spot in Oktoberfest once again and and starting restarting a battle from uh, previous weeks on this show over whether I was drinking the same beer or not. Jason, the the same is you found <laughs> it was never the same beer. You found the open can you were drinking and you almost decided to keep drinking it. That is correct. Adam, you've kind of outlined the folly in your your storyline here, which is that the, the likelihood in which a beer that I didn't complete in October and then again didn't complete a week later has now somehow, via some means, migrated about three miles away to a liquor store that has a staff and would not want a mostly consumed but not completely consumed single beer sitting in their case. See, you I know don't how believe a beer, you know that how you beer can to the liquor that? store. You know I think the liquor that? store is mental. had your keys. Is it? Is it about the kids <laughs> getting my keys again? It's about the beer becoming Look, sentient those, and taking your keys. If those kids have come down here from where they they live, which is various places around the state of Maryland, if they've gotten here, uh, stolen my keys, and then pulled this off, then I say bravo to those children. Well, bravo to those children. Um, <laughs> I don't have a good segue, so I'll just say it dc united have now played two preseason games this season have this they? year uh i mean I, not that we've seen any of see them, them but reportedly allegedly they've they've played two preseason games most recently taking a three nothing l to the metros um dc united were missing bill hamid paul Ariola, joseph mora ulysses segura to national team duty all four guys played in the USA Costa Rica friendly, they all seemingly came out unhurt, which that's kind of the best case scenario. So we're, we're going to roll with they that. They took a lovely picture after the game. Um, I haven't seen the picture, but I saw them actually take it. So it was cool. <laughs> nice. They looked okay. <laughs> no, no, no walking wounded. Uh, unlike some no other guys wounded. in camp, uh, Junior Moreno, uh, Yamil Assad and Donovan Pines all out with, various ailments uh, for the moment. Hopefully they will be back soon. Meaning Ben Olsen really had to cobble together a lineup for this. So, so taking a, a loss against mostly full strength Red Bull side in preseason, not the worst or most surprising thing in the world. Um, where do you guys want to start on this? Jason, what do you want to start with? I, I have a few different um, notes we could go on. I mean, there's not, we don't have anything really from the way the game played out. We don't have anything because we don't even have an impartial observer saying, Hey, this is, this happened. You know, the Montreal game, the impact gave more in-depth descriptions of what was going on. Um, in this case, DC did do some description of what was happening, but not a ton. Um, the Red Bulls did not tweet anything. Uh, they took DC United's first preseason game approach to that. Um, so yeah, we, we, and you know, in the, that's that first game, uh, Steve Goff, uh, had some information, uh, that since he was down in Florida, no one was there for the second game. So we didn't even have someone getting information that way. Um, I guess when I look at it, you know, we see canal set right back. Um, something that Ben Olson mentioned was, uh, 
it's it's I don't think it's the plan necessarily, but it might have to be the plan for a couple games early, depending on um, how healthy O'Neill Fisher and Chris Odoyatsum are, though both of those guys played 45 minutes in this game. Um, so they're they're building those guys up, but they want to have, I think, a another plan just in case they don't want to come to you know, February 22nd and be like, uh, these guys are not going to be fit enough to start yet. Uh, we, we need to work on something right now. Um, so they're, they're getting ahead of the curve there. Um, yeah. One thing a, I thought was, one thing I thought was interesting, both in both preseason games, Adui Acham played on the left side. He played left right. fullback in both of them, Which, at least according to reports yeah. and what we can get. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I would say that right now that's as much out of, it's kind of two birds with one stone in that on one hand, Joseph Mora has been with Costa Rica. So the, there has been no other left back. Um, the only actual left back on the team has been away. Um, probably need to get someone that can play there other than him. Um, and you know, the plus side is that this also means that there is a solid, reliable place for um, Odo Atom or Fisher, who also has plenty of left back experience to get 45 minutes in at this point in time. So um you know, it's a negative in that DC doesn't have a lot of depth there, but you know, at least this early stages, that lack of depth is providing an opening for guys rather than it being like, well, how are we going to get all of these players the amount of time they need from this game without doing something really weird? We're like, okay, these guys can play there. It's maybe not their best spot, but they can do it. So um, that's good. It's good that we haven't heard anything as far as like, oh, picked up a uh, a set, you know, with those guys, especially no, like, Oh, he picked up a muscle strain, something like that. Um, Olsen was very emphatic. That it's really important for them to make sure that those players get through preseason, uh, unscathed. Um, because if they have another setback, you know, you're already trying to build them up to full fitness. This is like, it would be like starting over again. Um, other than that, when I, you know, I look at the lineup, Gressel appeared to be on the right for the second straight time. I think that's where the team wants to play him, at least at the start. Um, specifically on the right side of the attack, not yes, playing back yeah. at fullback. Um, so, you know, the, there have been a lot of, uh, a lot of guesses as what they're planning on doing, but I think Dave Casper came out and said that they're looking at him first and foremost as, as an attacking player. And so far that appears to be what they're doing. Um, but, uh, beyond that, I mean, the front, the front six, it's, you know, Felipe and Gressel are the only guys that realistically are going to see a lot of time. You know, Michael Gamble is a Loudon player. He's going to be, or he was who's played alongside Felipe. Um, Moses Nyman played as a 10, which isn't really his best place. Um, but that was, there's just a shortage of players due to all the call-ups. So, um, yeah, it, as far as judging a lot, the second half gives us even less to really judge on because at that point, uh, Sites, Fisher, and Yao were the only um, DC United contract players on the field. Um, and since we didn't get to watch the trialist play, we don't even, we can't even say, oh, well, Aaron Mond earned, you know, earned, uh, more time in preseason or not. We don't have any idea. We just know that he did play. Doesn't sound like he was injured, but that's all we've really got. That was basically my entire, all the notes I had from this game. There wasn't I mean, a lot. It's, like, not, we know, it's not that we you know, didn't try. There's just nothing to, you know, we, we just don't have anything to add contextually. Like I, you know, did the recap for this game and it's like, uh, what else, what is, what is there to say that isn't already here? Um, you know, that isn't I'm, already in the tweets. I'm very much not somebody who 
supports men's rights activists, but I almost wish no, this had been on the radio no, and there had been uh, ridiculous no, commercials no. like the game in Jacksonville. No flag. What if abort abort? <laughs> All right. I mean, Maybe all from this landing, Adam, find a different sponsor from Florida. I mean, that might be risky. Um, we might get uh, somehow a worse sponsor, but probably not than the men's rights only law firm. We will get a pest control firm that specializes in meth gators. They have those. <laughs> I can vouch. <laughs> but no, really, like uh, on this game, when you're looking at it, at first, at first, you talk about it's preseason. First and foremost, we're going to see a lot of formations that we're not going to see. As you guys have mentioned, we we didn't have our starting goalkeeper, our starting left back, and our starting right something or left something winger. Whatever, right? Aerial and starting striker. And starting striker wasn't there. You Which, know, a couple of guys. Emil Assad was hurt. Like, yeah, these things aren't necessarily things to be concerned about. I think the only thing that we should be concerned about is not necessarily anything that has anything to do with anyone's control. It's that the season starts on February 29th instead of March 7th. So we have one less week to get all these things together. But now that we're getting all these guys back from international duty, we're going to start to see how some of these, so what's what the answers to some of these questions are. Where is Gressel and Ariel going to play if they're both on the field? When Assad comes back, how are they going to fit all these guys on the field? Who is going to be the, lo- the, the odd man out in some of these formations? And will these formations even be stick something they stick with, uh, for long stretches at a time, or is it going to be something where it's based on the feel and the opponent? Uh, I, I think those are things that we're, we're trying to see what happens right now. And later on we can say, Oh, now we kind of have an idea of what, what we're, what we're trying to see on a week by week basis. You know, well, Donald, you bring up an interesting, you, you mentioned that Assad was injured uh, heading into this Um Apparently, it was a knock that happened during the Montreal game, um, though it was one of those things where we didn't really find out about it until several days later because the Montreal game wasn't really uh, thoroughly covered. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of a, that's that's rough news. I've got to say because um, for one, you know, his 2019 was kind of you know he trained, but he didn't he he played barely at all. Um, and that was it. So he's someone else that's being having some sharpness built up, some intensity built up that you can't replicate in training as much as you 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 know you do your best, but you ultimately you can't quite replicate that. Um, that setback is probably going to keep him out till near the end of the preseason. Um, and you know Olson talked a lot about how um, it's really important for them to get that he was really glad that everyone is in place uh, in the attack. Like it doesn't sound like they're. Um, worried about the starting attackers. They think they've got the guys to do it. Um, but now he can't participate. So now when they play Louisville City um, in a couple days here, they can't have him out there with Kamara and Gressel and Ariola and Segura and everybody else. Uh, when hopefully Flores is back from Peru, uh, that's where he is. I don't know if he's, he could already be back. Uh, yeah, I didn't mention him. He was he was out for yeah. this game because mm-hmm. he's a finalizing the visa process. <laughs> yeah, and to um, do that, you yeah. have to leave the country. It's but uh, yeah, that that's that's a uh, not the best news that Assad can't be there to um, 
get more integrated with the group. There are positives in that he has experience playing with Ariola um, and with uh, Gressel uh, independently. Um, but he doesn't necessarily have any, he's got no experience with Kamara. He doesn't really have any experience with, uh, Flores because Flores has never played here before. Um, so that's one of those things where those relationships might need a little, a little more time. Um, and the fact that, you know, Kamara didn't play, I, I haven't heard anything saying that that was due to an injury or not, but, um, you do have to wonder when there's that many guys out when he doesn't play either. Um, it's, it's curious though. It also, there's other players that didn't really play in this game that, you know, we don't have to be, we don't have to assume that everyone that didn't play was hurt, but it does raise a little bit of curiosity that, um, you know, this was a game in which there weren't that many attacking players available and he wasn't brought into the lineup one way or another. Um, and unfortunately we won't really find out much of anything until, um, probably until the Louisville, uh, the lineup to play Louisville comes out is probably what we've got to wait for to find out if that's precautionary or if it was just, uh, you know, let's give Josh Fawol, um, a chance to really play. I think he played, uh, 66 minutes. Like let's give him these 66 minutes to really compete against, you know, a pretty good, this was a mostly MLS experienced, um, defense and defensive midfield for the Red Bulls. Um, the only rookie they had out in that in those areas of the field was their left back. Everyone else was someone that's a regular, you know, Tim Parker's a starter there. Um, Shikovsky, Davis, those are starters. Ryan Mir is their starter in goal uh, this year. Um, so yeah, uh, maybe that was the idea, but we don't, we won't know for sure. Like if, if Kamara doesn't play against Louisville city, then you have to start to wonder if he's not injured as well. And um, which means that like Eric Sorga could be in line to be the starter. Uh, this is probably a good time to point out that DC probably needs one more forward on the roster, um, <laughs> which I think <laughs> we're going to keep saying until they actually do it. Right. Cause right now Sorga is filling the Quincy Ameriqua yeah. spot. And we said last year that they needed another striker besides Rooney and Ameriqua. The whole time. And they needed yeah. one more guy. And they still do now, even with these new names. So uh, there's still time in the preseason. Ben Olsen said that by the end of this, two week stretch this first two week stretch we would know who the team is and what they were about kind of question that a little bit just because so many top choice guys were out for national team i also disagree that there's that much time left in the preseason i mean there is but not really for signings yeah i mean the the first set is over this week they play louisville on on thursday and then they're back Mm -hmm. over the weekend right and that's that's when they'll come back and and we'll start to see, you know, guys that have a trial or, or draft picks that haven't quite made the grade. We'll find out, you know, those guys will be released from camp and there will be other players possibly cycling in. But um, it's not going to be a ton of activity. We're not going to see like nine players let go and nine players come in. It's not going to be anything like that. It's going to be two, three guys at the most uh, one way and two, three guys the most the other way. And I mean, what they're at what twenty three players signed to the roster right now, and and two or three of those are homegrown guys that we don't expect to make a significant difference at DC United this year. I mean, they need some more players. They they are at twenty three, <laughs> not counting. Or yeah, they're at twenty three. Um, yes, twenty twenty three. Assuming Sorga is going to be signed, it's twenty two available because Durkin is still on loan. Um, but once right. Sorga gets uh, the promotion that appears to be 
a foregone conclusion than it would be 23 again. So that's not yeah, enough that also, guys. And that also counts Moses Nyman, who we don't expect right. to and play Kevin a lot. Paredes. And Kevin Paredes, mm-hmm. who we don't yeah. expect to be with GC United a lot. And like, right. they need like, like it, they my need preference like, they need, they need like six or seven more guys. And I don't think it's going to happen at this point. Right. I mean, you know, we're going to get to one rumored move. Um, You throw in, once you get Sorga, if if you get that one more forward, because the the thing is DC doesn't even have like players who could really fill in as a forward if need be. Um, You you start to get into like. Segura is right there. Right. Well, I mean, if Segura (laughs) is going to be referred to as a defensive midfield by everybody, uh, that doesn't pay close enough attention, then I guess he's also a forward. Um, but yeah, that's what we get into is like, is Segura the next guy up front? Is that, is that where it goes? Um, so yeah, they need, right. You know, they need, uh, one more there. Um, they probably need another defender on top of the rumor that we're going to get to. Um, so there's room, uh, there's definitely still need more midfielders, despite what people are saying, they still need more midfielders. Right, because um, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a point where several of these guys are going to be away on international duty, yeah. or you know, just like now, right? Like if this yeah. was the middle of the season, there'd be cause for concern because we'd be like, what are we gonna do with all these guys <laughs> yeah. out? There has to be doom. somebody, yeah, but it has to be there has to be guys that are not necessarily, you know, going to be high quality starters, but they got to be able to immediately contribute, and that's what we're lacking in a lot of these areas. So um, you notice we're not talking about the the result of this game very much, partly because we we don't know what went into it. We don't know what happened on the field that led to three nothing, um, but also because it's it's early preseason um, in the lottery and or in the it was a piecemeal roster or a piecemeal uh, game day roster anyway. And also, I I, I remember preseason twenty ten where DC United ran the table, including getting a win in Mexico. And uh, it led to the 2010 season. We had this great preseason and then everything fell apart once the the season actually started. Um, I know all about that. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. When (laughs) 16, the year we ran the table in the preseason, we have shirts that say we're preseason champions because we were the only team that year that went undefeated. Man, back when I... Back when I was an NFL fan, people would always panic uh, in Indiana because the Colts were the worst preseason team in the league every year. Mm-hmm. And then they would turn it on when the season started because they're they're not showing what they have in the preseason or they're not they're they're testing things in depth and and you know looking at moments and individual things, not putting the whole thing together until it counts. I don't know that that's what DC United's doing right now. I'm not making that argument, but. It is preseason. And, you know, maybe we're just doing a reverse 2010. We're just going to lose every preseason game and then, you know, claim the supporter shield. And then shield. run the table. There you go. It's in the bag. Uh, let's see. Jason, you had someone you wanted to mention. Well, yeah. Uh, so DC did add, since we're talking about possible incoming players, they did. Um, he didn't play as far as we know. Um, there is a trialist that I can't really account for. Um, but if it's Carter Manley that was playing as this third trialist that I can't really figure out, um, he would be playing in midfield, which I've never heard of or seen in many, many years. So I, I don't think, I think maybe he just arrived in camp and much like Eric Sorga, they didn't just throw him out there on, you know, 
one or fewer training sessions with the team. Um, he played with Minnesota, uh, last year, um, right back. He's from, uh, he's a local, he's from Maryland. Um, and he's, he's kind of in the, the same mold of Chris Odoyachim. Um, another guy that's got a lot of speed, maybe a little more technical, uh, maybe not as fast, uh, if I had to, you know, split hairs on it. Um, but yeah, he played eight games for Minnesota in, uh, as a rookie, um, not a bad player, mostly a right back. Um, so it definitely makes sense to be looking at other options because, you know, we're already talking about Russell Canales possibly playing there again. And I don't think that's good for, I mean, it's, it's a good survival measure to have, but it's not the best. It doesn't, it's not ideal for him or for the team that if he's there, um, we spent time on this last week, he should be further up the field. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one more player that, um, in this game against Louisville coming up that I would hope get some time. Um, but you know, you run into how do, does Fisher have enough minutes or do, are, are, is there an opportunity there to give him time and Fisher and Odo Atchum and uh, Mora and possibly Canals? Uh, you know, it gets kind of, you know, the team gets jammed up really quickly once these guys all come back. But um, if you're going to invite someone on trial, you've got to give them an opportunity to, to prove themselves. So um, I would expect to see him out there. Um, he came in, I guess, late last week. So he, he didn't really get the full, um, the full time in Florida. He's sort of showing up and having to throw himself into the mix. So if he can impress in those circumstances, that's pretty, that's a pretty big deal in my book that, um, it's not just coming in and impressing in preseason. It's coming in and impressing when everyone else has had a head start on you in preseason, um, but yeah, that's, that could be one more player. Um, someone who's proven that he's at least, uh, an MLS caliber player, uh, elsewhere. Um, so that's, you know, you start to think of, okay, Sorga, you add him in Carter Manley, Aaron Mon, Duke LaCroix. Those guys are all on trial. Um, you start to get a little more caught up, but you still probably need, you know, at least two more signings, I would say to feel, start to feel comfortable. Um, so that's, you know, that's what's next, I guess. It's next on the show. Certainly. Um, Jason alluded to it earlier. Um, Stephen Goff dropping little nuggets about a signing DC United is pursuing of a French center back who can also play left back is comfortable in a three back system or a four back system. Um, he would be a Tam signing and garner a transfer fee in the 500,000 to million dollar range. And he's magical, and he he flies through the air and has a unicorn. He exists. Horn. Yeah, he Apparently. he's totally he he is he's in France, he not in Canada. Canada. So yeah, um, we don't know who it is. We don't know what team it would be. We had a few people scouring transfer market and trying to you know piece out who this might right. be. But, um, but a lot of that came down to like assuming it was a free agent, right? Um, and Which so it sounds like it what, it's not. Right. So once you get into players that aren't free agents, it's just all of the other center backs that are left footed in, <laughs> in Ligue and probably also, uh, yeah, two league, two league two. Um, right. So you get into like, it could be one of these, like literally 100 guys. <laughs> yeah. So we have no idea who it is, but, um, certainly something DC United could use as, as we've gone into, um, sounds like he would be someone they would expect to press for starters minutes, whether that's in 
you know, to displace Fred Riant or Steve Burn- Stephen Birnbaum or to join them in a three-back system like I kind of fantasized about last week. We don't know. Um, if, if a formation change is in the cards, then that makes the fullback long jam even weirder, I think. Um, certainly, uh, you got to figure out who's going to play where because you can put Areola or Gresselet wingback a lot easier, I think, than you can put either of them at fullback because they're still going to have the, some attacking, especially if you play on the front foot, like I would like them to do. Um, but, I still feel like they have they don't have the 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 signings for a three back. Like even if they sign a good center back, they don't have the. I mean, they still need another the other center backs, mm-hmm. and some more wing backs, and more forwards, and more midfielders. I mean, if that's true of any system. It's not an argument for or against any system. <laughs> Basically, he's saying we'd need like thirty five players. <laughs> Give us European style rosters. Right. I mean, they should do that. Um, but, yes. Um, yeah. It, it's an interesting move because I don't think, I think if you told people that DC was going to spend 500,000 to a million bucks on a TAM player somewhere in the lineup, center back that can also play left back would not have been a very early guess for, for anyone out there. It would have been, you know, one more attacker or maybe a central midfielder or something else. It wouldn't have been this specific uh, type of player. Um, but it does, it is an interesting move to me because I feel like there have been years where DC has kind of underspent uh, at center back and they've paid for it. And this goes back a long time. This is goes back most of the history of the team. Um, the years where they've been good, they've tended to, um, maybe have a situation where there's there's a center back making more than the league minimum backing the guys up and that's that's good uh you want that kind of quality um and donovan pines meets that standard but that's only one player he can't back up both of them uh because what if both of them happen to be out um and so adding one more player that can also fill in at left back which we've already talked about there's only one true left back on the entire team right now um so having someone that can fill that role is a big plus um, in theory. I mean, the guy could get here and just not be good enough. And then the theory part of it gets tossed. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of a surprise, but uh, I can't say I'm against it because it's it sounds like um, uh, it, it sounds like a good thing. You know, it might be overspending a little on defense, but y- you also we have to face the fact that like Fred Briant is the age he is. Um he might hit the wall this year physically. And then um, you don't really, if he does hit the wall, you don't if it's pines backing him up and that's it, you don't really have competition for that spot. You just have like, well, now it's your job. That's not competition. That's just turning to the only other person there and saying, now you're the starter. Um, There's next man up. And then there's that. Right. And and DC's done that too many times and we've seen the consequences of it. So having that level of competition, because we know Birnbaum can play, right center back, left center back. He, it's not really a thing with him. He plays both of them pretty equally well. Um, so if, if it happens that, I mean, they expect Briant to be as good as last year, but if that doesn't come to pass, now they have options. Um, now it's not just, okay, this is the only thing we can do. Um, and also if Joseph Mora happens to get hurt, this player you would presume would be able to step in there as well. Um, which is nice because, you know, last year, 
one of the big problems was Joseph Mora got hurt, and the solution was like, uh, we got a slow guy who could play there, or a guy that really belongs like on the opposite side in both senses of the field. Um, we can do that. Like and the right nice answer have- ended up being changing to a formation they never played before. <laughs> right, and even that was like, uh, it's well, kind of not, not really. as bad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, it's a plus. It's a plus for sure. That um, it's also I. I found myself kind of pleasantly surprised that they had that kind of um, tam to throw around at this point. Um, I thought a lot of it between the trade for Gressel um, and some of the other stuff. I thought maybe the, uh, the you know the levels might have been depleted too much to make a move of that that kind of a uh, caliber. But uh, apparently, I was wrong because you you know if you can't do it, then you actually can't do it. Like the money isn't there, then it's not there. So that's a plus. Or this could be. You know, if we want to get Galaxy Brain with it, it could be Dave Casper being like, I think they're going to expand TAM. Let's make a move um, and see if the CBA allows it to happen. If this might be, I am by Galaxy Brain, I mean both like the internet meeting and also like the LA Galaxy would do something like this where they're like, let's just do it and see if it works. Make your make your roster non-compliant before the rules are finalized right. and, and, and then make, make them accommodate you. Yeah, right. Because mm-hmm. usually it works for the Galaxy. It doesn't work for like Orlando, but Orlando usually does something like tamper uh with antonio <laughs> notorino and then they're like why didn't it work speaking Hopefully of notorino congrats on your retirement guy um uh, he's still working for orlando city they hired him in their uh youth department good for him yeah i guess retirement <laughs> in florida man no if you have if you don't have anything nice to say then you don't say anything at all so <laughs> well, exactly I, I do have something nice to say about someone else uh Colin Martin and Akeem Ward have both caught on apparently with uh, the new USL team in San Diego, San Diego loyalty managed by Landon Donovan. Congrats to them. I hope they do great. Um, maybe those maybe get an excuse I, I, to I go would, out to San Diego sometime. Those are people who do not currently play for DC United that I wish well. There you go. And we'll sure. end it on a positive note, just like that. Somehow we we salvaged it and we stuck the landing. We will be right back to pick Donald's brain about a project uh, that he's been working on now for a couple years. Uh, we'll tell you more about that after the break. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and... Uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you call the ehrlich law office because you have rights That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster
Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We had Donald Wine the second on for the entire first segment because he's a good friend of ours and we like him and we like having him around. But the reason we invited him onto the call, onto the show this week, was what we're going to talk about this segment, and that is Black History Month. Donald, for the last two years, has put together a phenomenal series at the site he manages, starsandstripesfc.com, about Black History Month in the world of soccer. And it's story after story after amazing story. And uh, we wanted to bring him on to talk about that project, talk about Black History Month, and and go into some of those stories because they are really good and um, worth talking about here. Uh, so, Donald, thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it. It's the, the reason why I started it a couple years ago was more of a personal journey and not necessarily a, you know, I it's hard as it's, it's bad to say I didn't care what other people thought because I really don't. It's more about the personal journey. And, and some of these stories that I've written about are stories that even I didn't know all the full details. And after diving into some of these things, I came away with a better understanding of, of a player or a situation or even a story, good or bad, and wanted to share that part. And, and really the idea is for people to kind of join me on this journey and, and find their own stories. And, and there's some stories that people may be familiar with and some stories that people have no idea even happened uh, or players that didn't, that they didn't know existed. So that's kind of the beauty of all this thing. Well, let's, let's just jump in uh, to what I know is you, you've told me is your favorite story that you've, you've worked on. And that is no hyperbole Didier Drogba stopping a civil war. Right. It, and, and here's the thing, when it happened, I remember watching that game when they qualified for the World Cup and, and the backstory, I mean, obviously for all these, all, all these, you can go to uh, starsandstripesfc.com and, and click on the Black History Month link that's on the front page and you'll be able to read all these things. But the one story that I, I thought was just amazing was one that I saw in real life. You know, I saw the game and seeing him after the game get on his knees and in French and in his native language, beg his country to stop fighting. And they actually did it because I mean, we don't, you know, everyone talks about how they don't want soccer to be political. And then there's the whole thing that soccer in, in its innate form is political. And there's no better story to describe that than this one, because he literally took one of the world cup qualifiers that they had and said, let's put it in, a city that's controlled by the rival faction that was fighting the government. And let's play a game there, see what happens. And for one day, let's all unite behind the team in an area that we wouldn't normally play. And the whole, the whole country shut down. They, they stopped, they stopped fighting. They laid down their arms and it was a game that, you know, they ended up just destroying. It was like five to one. Of course, Dragba scores and gets carried off the field. And, and it's, it's the story of how powerful spot soccer can be and really when, or just even a player, how important they can be to a country. There's something that we kind of don't see here in the United States, but other places you kind of read about it. Like, Oh yeah, Pele was important. He's one of the greatest players ever, but Drogba literally, as you said, stopped the civil war. And that to me was so great to kind of dive into that and kind of see how real that was and how they got to, you know, even I mean, it, it didn't end the war, but for a little bit, their country was at peace. And I think that there's something to be said about that. 
a little bit closer to home. I live a few blocks from Howard University, um, Black Harvard. It's been called one of the the premier HBCUs in in the country, and they have a pretty storied sports program as well, especially in soccer. Um, they they won the NCAA championship in 1971 over what was then a, a dynasty powerhouse in St. Louis, only to have it stripped away by the NCAA. And then I'll let you tell the story from there. Yeah, it's it it's one of those injustices that kind of still hasn't been righted. Uh, because when you look in the history books, that 1971 title is still vacant. Uh, I believe, to my knowledge, is the only one that has been vacated uh, in the in the history of NCAA soccer. But they had it taken away because they claimed that a couple of their players played in a, a fifth division league back where they came from in the Caribbean, and they counted that as being a professional. Of course, we all know how the NCAA does for any sport. You know, we he, we see it in basketball, we see it in football, but yeah, it, it hit soccer. Even in the seventies, a team had their title stripped because the NCAA was stupid. And this was about a story of their redemption. They they, you know, a team can wither and die from that, and they decided they were going to keep trucking along. And three years later, they were back in the dance again. They were back in the title game, and they won. And they in this one, they couldn't take away. So. That story is one that, especially around here, was really important. But for HBCUs, it's extremely important because, you know, one, soccer is not a big deal in the African-American community. It wasn't back then. But to see an HBCU and to see Howard especially conquer what was considered a white sport at the time, that is a very important team. And that legacy has always uh, lived on. Yeah, and it was something that Kalen Carr, when he came to D.C. to film the movement around this time last year, um, he really focused on. He sat down with the coach. If you want to know more about it, go watch that. It's a fantastic piece. It also features um, one of the head poets and teachers from D.C. Scores reading an awesome poem about D.C. and soccer and community. It's it's fantastic. So, Donald, I, I, I was struck by two of your articles about uh, about uh, black players uh, before 1950, basically. Uh, one about uh, Joe Gagins, uh, who scored the uh, shot heard around the world in the 19 in 1950, and the one uh, about uh, black players in Scotland and England in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what of those is your favorite and just like walk us through those stories that I would assume the vast majority of people know nothing about. I didn't know anything about those stories before I read them. Yeah. Well, I think the, the one fact that I think is the most insane fact of all of those, you mentioned Joe Gatkin, uh, Gatchins, he wasn't American, but played for the United right. States because back right. then FIFA only required that you declared your intention to become a citizen to become eligible. And for some reason, one way or the other, he never f- actually went through with it. And uh, ultimately in, in sad way, ultimately caused his death because he couldn't flee uh, Haiti when uh, Papa doc took over. And he said, mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm Joe Gatkins. I'll be safe. I'll be fine. And his family fled because they all were citizens. They fled the United States. But he said, I'll, 
I'll be fine here. I can't go there, but I'll be fine here. And he was never heard from again. So, uh, but that was the kind of the most insane fact that, you know, players back then didn't have to be citizens. And so when I wrote about Eddie Hawkins, which was the very first article I read, uh, I wrote, uh, that was, he's the first African-American and people like, well, he's not the first African-American, but he was because Joe Gatchins was not an American when he played for the United States. Uh, Donald, I, I guess the thing that comes to mind with me when we talk about this stuff is that a lot of times both U.S. soccer and MLS have failed to do enough um, to bring these stories to light, to provide communities to actually have access to the sport. Um, we've seen some stuff. Adam mentioned um, uh, Kalen Carr's The Movement, uh, which has been good in that regard. I know MLS has done um, a Black History Month round, round table the last two years um, mm-hmm. with various players, not not just MLS players either. They brought, I, I know last year they had Lynn Williams come in from uh, the NWSL and the, and the women's national team. Um, what more can not, I guess not just us soccer and MLS, but what can all of the organizations that have some power in soccer right now, what can they do to actually further this? Because, you know, I think we can all agree that it's nice that they've started to do some stuff, but it's probably not nearly enough. I think this is a question that the answer comes from outside the world of soccer. It's something that we talk about every year when black history month hits, when February 1st hits is that, this conversations, these conversations, these stories need to be told beyond February 28th or this year, February 29th. They need to be told every day. Uh, as Kanye West once said, I make black history every day. I don't need a month. And one, we, we get shortchanged because we get the shortest month of the year to discuss, to, to highlight, you know, f- you know, 400 years of history that is good and bad. Um, and I think in the end, allowing us to expand that and, and really taking some of these lessons that we've learned and applying them the other 11 months of the year would be a great start. Uh, it's something that we talk about when, you know, when we talk about access to players and we talk about the affordability and accessibility of the game to the inner cities, but people, it, it, and this is not a, is this is no shade. They focus towards the Latino community because the Latino community is very big in the soccer but they don't focus on the African-Americans that have shaped a lot of the course of U.S. soccer's history and that are very much forgotten about uh, in the end. Uh, I mean, just think about right now on the women's team, we have, you know, they just played Crystal Dunn and Jessica McDonald, Lynn Williams are, you know, some of the players that are dominating for our women's team. But who knows about Kim Crabb? Who knows about, you know, what Brianna Scurry had to go through to get to where she was? Mm. Those sort of Stories are what I like to try to bring to the forefront. I, I, I do plan on doing something on Kim Crabb. She was the first uh, African-American woman to be called up to the women's national team, just like I did Eddie Hawkins a couple of years ago. So those are the kind of things that I, I like to see, because if you don't know who Kim Crabb is, then do we really know our full history? You know, those sort of things are the questions that I want to leave people with black, white, whoever, um, mm-hmm. because like I said, for some of these, even I didn't know these stories. And by doing this, I'm now becoming more one with black history, black soccer history, and really world soccer history. Because a lot of this stuff is not just, you know, people say Black History Month is just about American black history. It's not. It's about everything around the world that we've accomplished. And on that front, um, 
there's things happening right now that that I think are worth highlighting. You look at Jamaica, where they're saying they're going to disband the women's program if they don't qualify for the Olympics. That's worth talking about during Black History mm-hmm. Month, during any month. It's a big deal because the especially what the the Jamaican players did to get to the World Cup um, last time around, and it's just it's. Like that, had, that's not that's not history to be that what they did was history to be celebrated. What their federation is doing is is history to learn from and to condemn in some instances. And during World Cup qualifying, we had the story of Trinidad and Tobago, who their their federation just wouldn't pay for them. They mm-hmm. had to raise money to even train. Mm-hmm. They had to get balls. They had to get food. And uh, I mean, they, they the raised money to get a bus to uh, for the, the bus from the airport to the hotel was not paid for. They had to raise money to do that. They had to raise money to do that. And, and you know, I remember a lot of chapters in Dallas for the American Outlaws because that's where they were based to try and practice. The AO Dallas crew decided we're going to get a fundraiser together to get a food drive and get balls and get, you know, equipment donated get time on fields because they had to pay for reserving fields. And they said, Hey, just use this high school. We'll pay for it. And they helped raise like $25,000 just so this team could perform and try to qualify for the world cup. Like that's something that wouldn't happen in a lot of countries. And, and it's also something that when they ask for help, most people are like, that's too bad. And that's something that obviously needs to be highlighted. It's, it's not just something that happens in the women's game, but Really, a lot of these, you know, Caribbean countries. What I mean, Nations League is around for a reason because these guys are not being, you know, they're not being highlighted. They're not being given the opportunities to play and improve. And now we're starting to see them improving a little bit. We'll see. And in, in, in even now, MLS has a couple times where they'll go down and have a scouting day in Jamaica or in the Dominican Republic, so that people who wouldn't normally get the chance to play professional football get an opportunity to be seen and hopefully that will register and, and the, the looks is sometimes all you need. So Donald, we talked a little bit about uh, a couple of the pieces you want to eventually be able to write. What are, what are some more pieces that you're, ho- that you're hoping to highlight as, as we move forward? So this month, and, and obviously there's some that I I'm still trying to craft, not only, if I write them, but when I do and how they get released. Um, One that I am really interested in doing is uh, about a guy named Lyle Martin, who was the first American to play in the Chinese super league. And I think that's important because of the link between, you know, just three years ago, Chinese super league was buying up everybody. And this guy ended up playing in this league before that, Influx, influx of money came in and then just trying to buy up every superstar on the planet and just how that, you know, one, you know, we talked about Desmond at Armstrong a couple of years ago. I actually got to interview him and he talked about being the first player in Brazil, which is a league that most people have heard about. And most people enjoyed watching when they can It's now on gold TV. So most people can't, but we don't see people going to Brazil like they are going to Belgium. Right. So that being, you know, the first person to play in a league, but also to be one where the 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 culture is so much so different. And then on top of that, being an African-American playing in that, that is one that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, But then there's also some 
that I wrote one about the Kaiser Chiefs, which is a team that is one of the most popular in Africa, but also has an American link because it was named after the Atlanta Chiefs of the old NASL. I'm also going to use that to later on highlight one of the more, uh, one of the biggest rivalries in Africa and even in the world, uh, the Soweto Derby between uh, Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates, but really highlight one of the main disasters uh, that has taken place during that to kind of bring light to some of the some of the atrocities that have happened as well. Sometimes these stories aren't all you know good to write, um, but again, all of this is part of the history, and we need to learn from all of it. I think that's it for 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 this, Donald. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone listening to this should already be following you, but in case they're not. Where can they find you uh, on social media? Uh, I am at BlazingDW, and you can find me, obviously, writing. I, I do uh, writing here at Black Red United. I usually do the Wednesday Freedom Kicks and whatever you three tell me to do. Um, and then I also manage StarsAndStripesFC.com, uh, a sister site that focuses on the U.S. national team. So I do most of my writing over there, and that is where you'll be able to find this series um, and, and really we're trying to bring more of the stuff. I'm, I may even do a couple podcasts where we focus on some of the articles that may not make the, uh, make the written form, maybe talk about some of these stories in, in audio form so that people can understand it and really learn. Well, you also have your own podcast as well. I do life in life in one, one, eight. Yeah. It's kind of incorporated underneath that, but it's all the same thing. It's all love. All right. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com, patreon.com slash filibuster, if you feel like throwing some uh, coins our way. Uh, Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu, plus all our personal accounts. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, especially if you have an Escalade with a rear spoiler. We want to see it. Um, And if you don't want to tell you on Twitter, I'm going to tell you that you messed your car up. Yeah, no, uh uh-uh. You mess your car up. I want to see it. I I love disasters sometimes. I really do. Um, Download, rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. Uh, That's the best way to get the word out. So thanking Donald one more time for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Tell people to read the 1619 Project, Jason. Uh, You should read the 1619 Project.